This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome back to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. Thanks for coming back. At Mariners Pod on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Gary Hill Jr. Instagram as well, Gary Hill Jr., if you're into that sort of thing. You can find me in both places. You can email me as well, GaryHillPXP at gmail.com. I try and answer as many questions as possible on the podcast. I have a couple lined up that I'm going to get to uh, in the next uh, little bit here. This is going to be a fun one. No game yesterday, off day yesterday, so no game to review. But we have, I think, some fun things to talk about here in a couple of minutes. Ding. Uh, So what we're going to get to, we have Shannon Dreher did a great piece on Day Ho Lee, who celebrated his birthday in Detroit. That comes up. We have Josh Kearns returning with a fun piece on the national anthem at Safeco Field, which I think is outstanding. So that's going to be here as well. We're inside a month now when Ken Griffey Jr. goes in the Hall of Fame. So a little feature on that. We've been getting reaction uh, everywhere that the broadcast team has gone, and some of it has been tremendous. So you'll hear some of that coming up with a feature on 24 going in the Hall of Fame on the 24th. So that comes up as well. And Aaron Goldsmith, an excellent conversation with C.J. Nakowski. Speaking of Dehoe Lee, he faced Dehoe Lee in Korea. He's got some great stories to tell. It's a really fun conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. So that comes up in a few minutes. So the Mariners tonight, the homestand continues. We'll take on, it doesn't happen very often, but the Pittsburgh Pirates are in town. This is a fun series. The Pirates, a very exciting team. They come in, though, below 500, 37 and 40. And it's been a strange year for the Pirates. They've been one of the best teams in the National League the last handful of years. And it looks like they were having the same sort of season. On May 30th, they were 29 and 21, eight games above 500. But since then, it has been a struggle for Pittsburgh. And right now, they're sitting three games below 500. The Pirates actually played yesterday, kind of a wraparound over the weekend series. They were in L.A. facing the Dodgers, and the Dodgers beat them in game four of the series, five to four, a close one. But the Pirates, it was a pretty good series for Pittsburgh, and it looked like they were starting to right the ship in, in a few ways. In game one of the series, the offense came alive. They beat L.A. 8-6. Game two beat them 6-1. to one. 
Game three beat them four to three, and they were trying for the four-game sweep, and they couldn't get it. So they're playing better, and I think the best sign for Pittsburgh is Andrew McCutcheon showing signs of life. He's been one of the best players in baseball the last few years, and he just hasn't quite been himself. His year-long numbers now, he's hitting just 243 on the season with 12 home runs and 32 RBIs. This is a guy that has been tremendously consistent the last few years, but you look at what he did against L.A. He had a couple of two-hit ball games. He had a two-home run ball game mixed in. So starting to swing the bat a little bit better. Came into that series batting 238 and leaves with his average a little bit higher. I mean, he's a guy that has been amazingly consistent. Last year hit 292, 23 home runs, 96 RBIs, swiped double-digit bases, an on-base percentage over 400 Slugging 488. The year before that, 25 home runs, 83 RBIs, hit 314, on base percentage over 410. I mean, year after year, same thing. Three years in a row of a 300 plus batting average, a 400 plus on base percentage, and slugging well over 500. I mean, that is what Andrew McCutcheon has done through the through the years, and. He hasn't quite found it this year. In fact, you look at their outfield, he's been their third-best outfielder offensive-wise. I mean, they have a very young and very talented outfield. That should be fun to watch in this series. Starlin Marte has really flourished. He's come into his own for Pittsburgh. Polanco on the other corner has played remarkably well, although he's been banged up a little bit. He's appeared as a pinch hitter the last couple of ball games. So we'll see how much we see Polanco as well. They're a little beat up. They have some questions in the rotation. So they're dealing with some issues. And big series, obviously, for the Mariners. Just a brief two-gamer before Baltimore comes in. But the M's take two of three from St. Louis, and they'd like to keep the surge going against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Interesting pitching matchups. Sasha Iwakuma will take the ball tonight and Iwakuma has been the most consistent starter for the Mariners as of late so that's good news for the Mariners Iwakuma will take the ball in game one of the series and then Jonathan Nice will throw for Pittsburgh the lefty will take a turn six and five a four nine three ERA Mariners no team has hit more home runs against lefties than the Mariners this season so we'll see if the M's can get right back to it. Nice has struggled in his last three. Last time out against the Giants, six innings, five earned. Time before that in Chicago, five and a third, four earned. And then the start before that against St. Louis, 11 hits, eight earned runs in five and a third innings. Of course, the Mariners saw firsthand what the St. Louis Cardinals are capable of offensively. Pirates have lost his last three starts, so we'll see if the Mariners can go to work offensively tonight against Nice and the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's fun. It's fun when teams come in that don't come in very often, and it's going to should be very entertaining to see the Pirates take on the Mariners at Safeco Field. Hopefully, we'll see you there tonight, Mariners and Pirates. We'll talk about the next game in the podcast tomorrow. Right now, going to hand it over to Aaron Goldsmith. And C.J. Nikowski, fun conversation. Here it is. 
Well, it's always a real treat to run across C.J. Nikowski, one of the fine analysts for Fox Sports when it comes to Major League Baseball. And C.J., a long time for you as a Major League pitcher and also pitching internationally in Japan and Korea. And you're one of the only guys that we can speak to in English about <laughs> facing Daeho Lee in Korea. Tell us what it was like. I tell you what, first of all, I loved playing there. It was so much fun, great experience. But he's big here. He was huge there. Like, he really stuck out. And I see this huge, big power guy, and I'm thinking, okay, Maybe he's slow because he's a little bit bigger. You can get inside on him, but you learned very quickly that, that was not the case at all, that he had quick hands and he also had really good power. And I remember facing him back in 2009. I was pitching for the Doosan Bears in Korea, and he took me out to dead center and actually maybe even a little bit to right center. And I was, I was really impressed with the power because you don't see it too often. Like That's one of the things you see here in the States is hey, guys that have power to all fields. And I didn't see too many guys in Korea that had that kind of power, but I learned very quickly that Lee Dae-ho uh, was one of those guys you know, he was beloved there. It was so interesting. It was funny when I found out first that he went to Japan, but then that he wanted to come to the States. One thing that always stuck out to me was the song that they had for him. You know, they have these songs that for certain players that they'll sing every time that guy comes up to bat. And I could still hear it in my head, that Lee Dae-ho song that they would sit there and sing. And they say last name first there always. And they would just, Lee Dae-ho, Lee Dae-ho. And they would be sitting there singing it. And those kind of things just get stuck the in The whole crowd. The whole crowd's doing this. They're really polite. They do this both in Japan and Korea where even if you're on the road, and they were on the road when they faced us, is that the visiting team has a cheering section. And the home crowd allows them to do their cheers when they're on the road. And the team that he played for had a really good road following. So it was loud. And I just always remember that about him, and it's stuck in my head, and I love seeing him here uh, in the States and being productive. And where was he in terms of kind of the, the rankings of popular players in Korea? Because we know that he turned down a lot of money to come to the States for a spot that was not guaranteed with the Mariners. He has since flourished by and large. But we get the sense that he was really a big deal in Korea. Oh, he was. There's a handful of players that were over there when I was there that were stars. I mean, even Jung Ho Gong now with the Pirates was not at that level when I was there. He was a teammate of mine in 2010 in the KBO, and he was not as big of a deal. It was kind of his first decent year, but Lee Dae-ho was without a doubt one of the bigger names uh, at the time, one of the best hitters in the league. By far, there was another guy, Kim Tae-hoon, uh, who also went to play in Japan, wanted to come to the States, never did. But I'd say top one or two easily in Korea when it came to the offense at that time. That was 2009. Can you give us an insight as to what it was like pitching in Korea when it comes to the sports psychology side of things? <laughs> things are different in Asia. It's the one thing uh, that really caught me off guard. I started going to Asia when I was 33, 34. I spent my first two years in Japan and then Korea. The expectations are completely different. Everything you've learned here and the way that you kind of master your mental game, you throw it out the window when you get to Korea or Japan just because the coaching staffs are pretty unreasonable. And the things that they ask for – and I was sharing that story with you when I was in Japan that I had a pitching coach come out to me. I just came in the game, come out of the bullpen. I'm having a pretty decent year. I had a couple of walks here and there like I usually do. But my ERA is really good. It's it's around a 1-5, and I'm getting my lefties out. They were upset with a walk here and there. And the translator says to me through the pitching coach, as I'm getting ready to go in the game, says, hey, uh, the pitching coach says that he really would like you to pitch perfect today. <laughs> and I, like, I said, pitch perfect? He goes, yeah. He says he thinks it would be a good idea if you pitch perfect. And I, and I told him, I said, if I could pitch perfect, I would not be pitching in Asia. I would still be back in the States, you know, not here, not to take anything away from them, but I don't have that ability to dial up perfection whenever I want. And it's just, it was so strange, but it did not take away at all. Uh, for, for me from the positive experience. It was so cool. My, my kids went to school in Japan when I was there, and they got to visit both countries and just a, an outstanding baseball experience overall. So you've played against Dae Ho Lee, and you've played with 
one of the mainstays for the Mariners in recent years, and that is all-star second baseman Robinson Cano. But this was back in 2004 in Columbus, Ohio. Can you take us back to your minor league days as teammates with Robbie? Yeah, this is way before anybody really knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. I spent about three weeks with the Yankees in AAA. I had gotten released by the Braves, signed with them, and then eventually got called up. But what always stuck out to me about Robinson at that time was it was around deadline time when I was there near the end of July. And the rumors start as they always do with the Yankees and what are they going to try to do? And both he and Navarro were there in AAA. But I remember Robinson in particular and his name coming up and I'm saying, what's the big deal? Like I'm watching him. He's doing okay. But as Robinson has now still at the big league level, he has always been that guy with the casual body language. And if you're not careful enough and you don't dig in on talent, you could overlook a guy based on his body language. And I absolutely did that with Robinson. I didn't see it. I said, what's everybody so excited about? Uh, I don't see the player that people are saying, oh, this is great trade bait or this guy could be a star. And sure enough, he gets to the big leagues and his career absolutely took off almost immediately uh, in New York when he got there. But quiet at the time as a teammate from what I remember, it was only about three weeks that I spent in Columbus that year, but I was not overwhelmed. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm putting a dent in any future that I want to have as, as a scout. It's not going to happen. And he wasn't the first guy that I overlooked, but it was so unusual to see. And I got to see him uh, in 2013. I call a game. I hadn't seen him since. Uh, in 2013 and just kind of reminded him I'm sure he had forgotten it was only three weeks and I said hey man I remember when we were back in, in Columbus he goes gosh that was such a long time ago <laughs> but uh, he has been great ever since and, and obviously has turned into a tremendous superstar. CJ it's always great catching up with you thank you for the time. Oh, my pleasure Aaron. Now Shannon Dreyer's here talking a little Day Ho Lee. Two hours ago on the Mariners daily hitting meeting the team presented Day Ho Lee with a birthday cake. Yes, the player they call Big Boy turns 34 today, and teammates, staff, and coaches alike were happy to celebrate him. The 2-2. Lobbered high wow. to the video wow. board in left field. This is up to the Western Metal Supply Building on the second deck. Deho Lee absolutely killed that pitch. Three-run home run from Deho Lee off the bench. And the Mariners are suddenly in this ball game. It's 12 to 7 Padres. He's been incredible. I mean, you know, just uh, the ball sounds different off his bat. I mean, it's been it's been incredible to watch. And like I said, coming in like a pinch hit that role, or you know, not even not starting. I mean, then come in and hit three hits. That's it's incredible. It doesn't happen either. Lee is one for three with a single, the stretch and the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep left center field. Upton to the warning track to the wall. Goodbye baseball. Out to the pen in left center field. Day Ho Lee with a three run drive. Holy smokes his seventh home run of the season. And it's now the Mariners nine and the Padres two. They've broken open this game with five runs here in the bottom of the eighth. Number seven for Day Holy. How about that? He's able to make adjustments. Um, you know, you can see that in situations uh, he knows, have an idea how he's going to get pitched. Sometimes he goes look inside, sometimes he's just look middle away. Um, and uh, he makes adjustment through the at-bat. Sometimes he's more aggressive. With two strikes, he he tried to put the ball in play. Uh, so he's uh, he can make adjustments. People see him and they see a big guy and they think slugger. When did you know he was a hitter? You know, you can see from the beginning his swing and the way he, he works, his work habits, uh, how he takes uh, his approach working in the cage, mm -hmm. how the... Um, his swing is 
consistent. Mm -hmm. He don't change. Mm -hmm. You can tell he has success with that. He stick with it. Uh, so that tells you that his confidence in his ability and it's because he has success in the past. Then there is the defense. Surprising defense for a guy his size. Co-host of Bullpen Banter and trainer Rick Griffin impressed with what he has seen from Deho, the athlete. That's very surprising to me. Um, I saw him in spring training and I didn't think he'd be able to move that well and when he plays in the games he actually moves really well. He goes back on, on foul balls real well. He's got nimble feet around the base and it's, it's, it has been a big surprise. I've been very very surprised. You just said daily and nimble feet. Yeah, he, he has nimble feet around the base. He does. He does. <laughs> Can he dance? I, I've never seen him dance. I know he can't jump. I do know that. I know he can't jump. I think he has a two-inch vertical jump. A two-inch vertical. Okay, well, yeah. he doesn't need to jump much. Yeah. He's pretty tall. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> true. But two-inch vertical, I think, is probably the max. And what has he brought to this team? You've seen a lot of characters and people come through this clubhouse in many years. Well, what do you see from him? He, he's, he's always happy. Um, he's, he's starting to open up a little bit. He's starting to get comfortable more with his teammates. I think he's starting to understand English a lot better. Uh, you can talk to him a little bit now. So it's been, been kind of an experience from the first day to now, and I think it'll just get better as the season goes on. Deakman pauses. The 0-2. Swing and a drive. Smash left field. Desmond. Track. Wall. Gone. Day Holy wins it for the Mariners. Pinch hit. Two run. Bomb from Day Holy with two outs in the bottom of the 10th inning. 4-2. Mariners win it. It's a dog pile at home plate on top of Day Holy. If there's anybody that can take it, it's that guy. And here's Josh Kearns, another great feature. In a dressing room beneath Safeco Field, Michael Wansley paces nervously before what he calls one of the biggest moments of his life. This is serious stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's not like he hasn't sung before big crowds before. I'm going to pop some tags. Only got $20 in my pocket. After all, the Seattle artist, better known as Wands, won a Grammy for his star turn on the Macklemore hit Thrift Shop. He's performed for tens of thousands at huge festivals and millions on TV shows like Saturday Night Live. But he says this is very different. This is my country's national anthem. And for a black man of a certain age, it is such a huge honor. The anthem's like, they say, the hardest song in the world to sing. It is one of the hardest songs to sing because it spans two octaves. And most people's, the average range, I mean, I was a music ed major in college, so this is why I say this. The average vocal range is one and a half octaves. So to do two, you either have to sing out of position and scream, or you're stretching way too low and you sound like a frog. And we ask you now to please remain standing and join in the singing of our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. Not just anybody gets the chance to stand at home plate and perform it. We try to include uh, as many different types of performances as possible. So the cute school kids, and uh, then we'll have celebrities, national performers, uh, local acts perform it as well as different choirs and uh, soloists as well.
Mariners VP of Marketing Kevin Martinez says they get hundreds of applications every year, and there's just one rule. The way we decide uh, who gets to sing is really based on a criteria that we established after 9-11, where we thought it would be best to go with a very straightforward, respectful performance of the national anthem. However, every year there is one exception. Pearl Jam guitarist Mike McCready. Certainly uh, not the traditional approach, but uh, Mike's performance uh, for me is uh, so exciting, and he does it to benefit the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, so there's even a deeper meaning to his performance. Everyone has their favorites, Ask Rick Riz and the guys in the broadcast booth. They look forward every year to appearances by acclaimed Canadian singer Michael Ciccoli. His operatic take on both his and our national anthems never fails to send shivers down the spine. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for So what does it feel like to actually perform it, standing out there on your own without even a little musical accompaniment? Oh, say does that star-spangled... You know, it's a lot scarier than than walking in front of 70,000 people doing somebody else's song. It's like the greatest mind screw in the world is standing there right before you lift the microphone up to your mouth because you're not sure what's going to come out. Oh, the land of the free. On this sunny Saturday night, though, what came out was a soaring, pitch-perfect take on the anthem by Wands, a performance he or many others will never forget. You know, you try to savor every single echo, every single consonant, and man, you know, when I, when, I, when I hit the home of the brave note and I could hear people start to cheer, it was dope. I mean, it was crazy good, crazy good. And the home of the brave. For the Mariners Sunday Magazine, I'm Josh Kearns reporting. And finally, we're getting closer and closer to Ken Griffey Jr. going to the Hall of Fame. And one month from now, the 24th of July, number 24 will go into the Baseball Hall of Fame, Ken Griffey Jr. And as the Mariners travel around the country, city by city, the reaction has poured in from current stars, former players, and even Hall of Famers about Ken Griffey Jr. going into the Hall of Fame. There goes Joey, the pitch, swung off at Nelson, deep to right field. with a two-run home run. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, paving the way for for somebody like me, uh, you know, a kid growing up in Oklahoma having a dream of playing in uh, major leagues. Um, you, you know, he, he definitely uh, motivated me to to want to be a baseball player. And, um, you know, he's one of the reasons why I started. I picked up a bat and started playing. That was San Diego Padres outfielder Matt Kemp. Current Boston Red Sox ace David Price shares his memories of Ken Griffey Jr. His easy swing, you know, his swing, his finish, just his his big smile, you know, having his hat backwards in BP, 
just uh, having fun with what he did. You know, he was obviously extremely talented and, you know, one of the best to, uh, to ever patrol the outfield and to, uh, to stand in that left-handed batter's box. But um, just watching him, you know, growing up and just having all those moments and hitting all those big hits and making those great catches, you know, that was, uh, that was definitely very special. And the 3-2 pitch to Jesse now, and the slider swung on, and a high fly ball hit into deep left center field. Back goes Griffey. He's back to the wall. Makes the leap, and does he make the catch? He does! Omar Vizquel, one of the best defensive shortstops to play the game, pays an extremely high compliment to his former teammate. He looked like a shortstop out there in center field. You know, he gets to every ball. He was uh, reckless sometime. Uh, we remember how he got hurt when he go after that ball in center field when he broke his hand. And, and all the other plays, you know, jumping... Uh, uh, after a ball, like climbing walls and doing all this stuff, you know, the guy was just unbelievable. It was so fun to watch him play. And I think that he changed the whole mentality of the Seattle Mariners at that time. Uh, you know, a lot of people was coming down just to see Griffey, just to pay that ticket. And, uh, you know, I, I was just as as uh, uh, amazed uh, uh, how they, how this guy played the game. 3-2 pitch on the way. Swing, and it's a fly ball. Right center feeling deep. On the run, Diaz and Griffey. Griffey up against the wall, jumps up, and he makes the catch. He crashes into the fence. Griffey leaped right into the wall. A man that knew Ken Griffey Jr. from almost the beginning, Billy Hatcher. So I've known Ken Griffey Jr. for a long time. I played with his dad here, so I actually went and saw Griffey play over at Moeller High School a couple of times. And, you know, he was special then. Uh, but then again, I played against him and uh, just watching him when he was in Seattle uh, for five to ten year period, he was the best there was in baseball. It was, I mean, it was no comparison. Here comes the 3-0 pitch to Junior. He swings and a high fly ball belted. Green to the track for Wall. Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Texas Rangers, Eric Nadell, mentions Ken Griffey Jr.'s place in baseball history. He's pretty far up there. Now, I saw Willie Mays, I saw Roberto Clemente and Hank Aaron and Mickey Mantle. I don't know really how he compares to those guys, but it's hard to say that he takes a back seat to any of them. Fastball at time, belted, deep to right field, number 400 is on its way, there it goes. Ken Griffey Jr. has it his fourth. Famer and current manager of the Minnesota Twins, Paul Molitor. You know, it, it's just more about the beauty in which he played the game. Um, you know, I was fortunate to see him for a long time, and there's a certain gracefulness that he brought to his at-bats, to his defense, the way he ran the bases. It looks like work for most of us, you know, but he was such a grace, graceful athlete. Um, I did get a chance to know him a little bit off the field through the years and, you know, various charitable, charitable events in, in the wintertime. When you're competing against the best of the best, it was a real privilege for me to watch him as a young kid turn into the man he became and to go on to become one of the greatest players in the history of the game. And this is just a small sampling of all of those who have paid tribute to the marvelous career of Ken Griffey Jr. See you later! Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.